Hello, readers. Welcome to 20 Questions with Your Favorite Author, where we ask authors important questions like, why would you agree to be on this podcast? Our guest this week is Jonathan Mayberry, a New York Times bestselling and five-time Bram Stoker award-winning author, anthology editor, comic book writer, magazine feature writer, playwright, content creator, and writing teacher and lecturer. He was named one of today's top 10 horror writers. His books have been sold to more than two dozen countries. If he's not your favorite writer now, he will be after. Welcome, Jonathan. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing great. That was a nice festive uh, piece of music uh, to bring us in here. Nice. Why, thank you. Thank you very much. We, we listened to like dozens and dozens of music till we found what we liked. Nice. The hard work, you know, you, you've done a podcast, you know, sometimes that's those little things that get to you, right? Yeah, that is. <laughs> mm -hmm. You're like, I can't remember. I must do all of these things. Well, for everyone in the audience, please post your questions and we will make sure to ask them. But I get to go first because I'm the host. So, you know, it's my privilege. So I have the very first question, Jonathan, is where do you get your ideas? You know, it's. It's one of those things, ideas are everywhere. Um, I, I stoke that a little bit by, you know, reading a lot of technical uh, journals because I write horror, science fiction, fantasy, thrillers, and so on. So I, I like to base all of my fiction on um, a framework of something from the real world, a real plague, a real technology or something. So I read a lot of these technical journals and see all these developments that are, that are going to hopefully, you know, uh, enhance life for human beings. And my immediate reaction when I see them is what's the worst that can happen. And can I write about that? Because we're not really in the habit of giving happy characters a great day. You know, we're, we were there to spoil things. And so those things give me a lot of ideas, uh, technical journals and the ones I read aren't the ones that are necessarily the, um, the ones you find in a magazine rack. They're, they're the ones for actual, um, people in different fields, medicine and engineering and politics and so on. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing. And the other is just looking around. I mean, uh, if you're not a writer and you see a, a bird sitting on a wire over your car, you think, okay, there's a bird. If you're a writer, you're wondering what that bird's agenda is, why it's focusing on your car specifically, what it's going to do as soon as you try to get in the car. You, you know, that's where our minds go. So you get into that habit and then you can't stop thinking of ideas. Yeah, you know, birds are a good one. There's a mockingbird that likes to sit outside of our window and torment our cat every single morning. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of stories that could come from that. Well, we're not called mockingbirds for nothing. That's true. <laughs> yeah, this one's definitely earned its title. I, I'm always <laughs> tempted to let the cat out and see how funny he thinks it is now. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I won't because I don't want to clean up the feathers. Let's see. Now, you tend to flit around the horror genre. Like, it tends to be, it's not the only thing you write, but it does seem to be your go-to. Um, but you do cover everything under that umbrella. Like, it's not just one thing, one genre that you stick to. What attracted you to horror? Well, I got involved first in the folklore of the weird before I got involved specifically in horror. My grandmother, if you can imagine an old lady, who, uh, old lady version of Luna Lovegood from the Harry Potter books, the kid who believes in everything, that's my grandmother. She believed in everything, ghosts, werewolves, vampires, the whole bit. I mean, she was totally into it and taught me a lot about that. But at the same time, she would tell me, you know, the, the stories, the folkloric stories and some of the, the folk tales, the fictional versions as, as opposed to the beliefs, but also in, encouraged me to read the science and the anthropology and the commentary on why people believe that. Because, um, you know, she felt that 
eventually we would understand that the supernatural world is really part of our natural world, just a part we haven't learned how to measure yet. That was her theory. And it's reasonable to me. What a cool um, thing to grow up with. Oh, yeah. She, she was the best. She was actually born on Halloween, too, which makes her even cooler. <laughs> Um, but then, you know, from there, re you know, reading the folkloric versions of, of these different types of monsters, I started, of course, watching the monster movies and reading monster comics and so on. Mm -hmm. And I just started, I just fell in love with the, the potential for telling stories about people confronting something much bigger and much more frightening than what they're prepared for. And then having to kind of level up in order to be able to deal with that. I love that kind of, you know, underdog against, you know, the big bad situation. And I found that applies to a lot of different types of fiction. So a lot of my fiction, even my science fiction and fantasy has horror elements to it because of that lifelong um, uh, appreciation for all things weird that my grandmother engendered within me. So it all went together. Yeah. Um, Maya says hi, by the way. Maya Cleave is on. Oh, hi, Maya. Hi. I just killed her off in my latest novel. Oh, that's always the, the fun the, part, right? She she won an auction to be killed off in uh, my, ne my, my next Joe Ledger book, which will be out July 13. And she has a great heroic story arc in that book. So uh, thanks, Maya. And I, the money <laughs> went to a good. That's awesome. Congratulations. Now we can't wait to read it. We all know Miss Maya. That'll be fun. She, She's um, an action figure. <laughs> She really is, actually. Uh, the uh, somebody they also said that they love your pink Hawaiian shirt. You're rocking it. You do oh, tend to you. have a look like you. You always have the Hawaiian shirts of some kind of amazing color and pattern. Why? Why did you choose Hawaiian shirts? Uh, originally, I was working as a bodyguard, and it was a great way to hide your uh, your pistol. It was clipped to your belt. The Hawaiian shirt, nice and baggy, and you can get to it. But also, I I I love. I'm an artist, so I love color, um, and I love the wild patterns and. When I started doing a lot of conventions, it just was a very comfortable shirt to wear around. And now I have over 300 of them. And um, th this, like some of my best shirts, are from a company that I am now absolutely in love with called Big Fun Shirt Company in Eureka, California. They're all hand-sewn. And so I have, a, I have a whole bunch of these. In fact, I'm looking over at the – I'm in a hotel right now. I'm looking over at my closet seeing a whole line of Hawaiian shirts <laughs> I have <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. That's pretty cool. Well, we love it. We can always find you. Not only are you not short by any means, um, but with the Hawaiian short uh, shirts, we can always find you in a crowd. Yeah, basically, look for Bigfoot in a Hawaiian shirt. That's <laughs> going to be me. Though I have had people cosplay me, which is kind of funny, including there's a, a woman, uh, El Jafar, 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 I forgot how to pronounce her last name, but mm -hmm. she's a little tiny uh, French woman who lives here, a writer, and she cosplayed me once. Um, <laughs> How did that work? Was she on stilts? No, 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 no. She was tiny. There's a photo of the two of us next to each other, but it, it, she matched so well, and even to the point of having a puff of white chest hair glued to her chest, you know, in the V of the shirt. It was epic. I freaking died when she walked into the book signing. I thought it was one of the greatest moments of my life. Now that's dedication. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, the, uh, Horror, the, when we talked about the horror, the, your first novel, Ghost Road Blues, in the Pine Deep series, won a Bram Stoker Award. Congratulations for your first book. That's so impressive, by the way. So, and where else can a craft store owner become a hero but in horror? I love that part, too. <laughs> so in this series, you really capture the small-town feel of close-knit, marred with suspicion. Like, what research did you do for that novel to actually capture that? 
Well, I grew up in Philadelphia, and outside of Philly, there's a small town called New Hope, Pennsylvania, in which the, my town of Pine Deep is heavily based. And back in the 70s, when I was in high school, uh, we'd, a bunch of us would go out there, and it was very farm community back then. So there were these vast cornfields and pumpkin patches and everything else. We'd go out there, and I'm not saying that as as high schoolers we ever drank. I would, I would never say that. Um, but uh, we, we would go out there and have parties in the middle of the cornfields, middle of the night, tell each other ghost stories. And we, we were all like tough urban kids and we were trying to spook each other. And we wound up doing that like over and over again to the point that any little sound from that point on was some demon coming to get us. And I just loved that whole whole area. And unfortunately, with all the infill now, the, a lot of the farms are gone, the cornfields are gone and so on. But that it left such a strong um, sense of place that it, I wanted to to build a town into one of my stories that the town itself, the personality of the town, you know, was a character in a sense, uh, in essence rather, and uh, also included elements of another town called Upper Black Eddy, which had the best haunted hayride ever. I love and, haunted uh, hayrides. They don't have those down south so much. They were so much fun yeah, up there. They don't have, well, I imagine a lot of them took a big hit last year with, with COVID, but um, unfortunately the Upper Black Eddy one closed. And uh, so I, I gave an idealized version of that. Uh, you know, I even opened a story with, with that. And um, so that small town and its history, which for years New Hope was known as the most haunted town in America. And I thought, well, what a, what a great legacy to, to be known now. I think Savannah is now the town that has that, or maybe Gettysburg, currently has that rep, but New Hope, I mean, going all the way back to the pre-colonial times, uh, really had a lot of haunting. So that gave me that that sense of of, of place that I, I, I built my whole first three novels around. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Let's see. Um, what do we have? We had a couple people that popped in to say hi. We have Bookish21 says hello, and Honeybee Hideout says hello. Hello. So if you don't know what their, their uh, avatar names are here, they'll have to clarify. But otherwise, yeah, if you have questions, I, please put them in. Um, Vicky does have a question for you. She wants to know, has the pandemic given you any new ideas? <laughs> uh, yes and no, but it'll also give me a little bit of agita too, because, I mean, if, aside from all the, the, the real world harm, in terms of my career, uh, just to answer that question, I had a TV show on Netflix that um, launched right before the pandemic. And um, uh, having a show about a plague during a plague, probably not the best choice, even though we did it. We, we obviously was based on something we were doing before. It, it actually launched before the plague, but the plague did it no favors. And that's why there's no second season. Are you um, talking about V-Wars? Yeah, V-Wars. And also I had a, uh, a comic book that I wrote in, 2000, in 2019, but it was published in you know the gap between 2019 and 2020 called Pandemica, which was about a plague being released a lot of political games playing and all sorts of things. It was a little too predictive, and 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 that didn't help. That you know, in fact, even delayed the last issue of it for quite a while. So uh -huh. the, the, the plague, um, it hasn't been a big factor in stuff I'm writing. It's referenced in the new Joe Ledger stories, and it's referenced in a couple of other stories. I don't think I'm going to do a pandemic novel about COVID-19. I feel like I've already done that in the other pandemic books I've done and so on. Um, the only ups, I mean, the, the biggest upside, and it sounds weird to say that upside, 
of that is during the social isolation, I got a tremendous amount of work done because I had nothing to do but sit and write all day long. Yeah, it helped, right? Some people got more work done and some people were like, I can't work. It didn't seem to be too many in between. So I mean, I'm glad I mean, you got work done because we need entertainment. So I'm excited. Yeah, well, last year, I wrote four and a half novels, uh, 12 short stories and some comics. Uh, this, uh, this year, I'm already on my third novel for this year. So, yeah. Fascinating. What a question, because you don't just write novels. As you've said multiple times now, you also write comics. Which one came first, the mm -hmm. novels or the comics? Oh, the novels came first. Uh, I, I actually, before novels was nonfiction. I, I did that since 1978. Magazine articles, nonfiction books. Turned to fiction in, in 2006. Um, started writing comics in 2009 after the editor-in-chief of Marvel had read one of my novels, Patient Zero, called me up out of the blue and said, hey, do you want to write for Marvel? It's like, uh, let me let me think about that. Do I want to write for Marvel? You know? uh, <laughs> and, I did. Um, and um, I, I, I dove into writing comics and I've been doing it ever since. That's so fun. What what different challenges do you have writing comics than you do writing novels? Well, it's a completely different process. I mean, a novel, you're alone. And it's you're the god of that universe for the time that you are writing the book. And you don't have input. You're not really, I mean, generally not discussing the plot points and so on. With comics, it's very much a collaborative thing. I mean, yes, you pitch the idea. Yes, you write the script. And yes, you give the art direction saying, you know, how many panels and what goes in each panel. But the editor is usually a lot more hands-on in comics. And then you have also the artist, the letterer, and the, and the, um, the colorist, each of whom is playing their A game as well. And they have a lot to say. The artist, I remember one of the early emails I got from my artist very gently asking if, uh, much as he loves all of my dialogue, do you think the, re the readers might want to see the art at some point? <laughs> You're like, hold on, novelist, uh, I'm working on it. I have a lot of space to put in you know, uh, dialogue in my, in my novels, but in comics, you really have to not only dial back the writing, but, but allow for, um, the art to be, a, a as equal a partner, maybe even more so in the storytelling. So you, you tell the artist what, what you want, but you have to give the artist the actual paid space to do that. So you have to trust that they're going to, they're going to be able to take your story and tell it in a way that's unique to their skill set. The same with the colorist and the same with the letterer, you know, because those are actually very highly specialized skills. And uh, um, it, it is very much a team in, in, in the comics world. It's closer, I, I've been told, to writing an hour of television. Uh, a comic is about an hour of television in terms of the script, the art direction, everything else. So, which also is a collaborative process where, you know, you're dealing with other professionals who, you know, you have to respect their the skill set they're bringing to it that's incredible i have no experience with that so thank you oh we have a question from florida kevin he wants to know is there anything off limits for you in horror writing eh, i'm not sure if it's off limits things i there are things i i would choose not to do like i I wouldn't ever want to write something where, um, like, a rapist or a child abuser is is written as a sympathetic character. That would, you know, that that would be an ugly thing to to, to even want to consider. Yep. I'm not a fan of torture porn. I'm not a fan of bizarro uh, fiction. I don't say that it's bad. It's, I'm not the I'm not the audience for it. I have quite a few friends who write that stuff, and they they put their whole heart and soul into it, and great because there's an audience that wants it. I just don't have to be that audience. 
Uh, but there are things yeah. I won't do in my own kitchen only as, as a preference. I, you know, I was an abused child, so I'm not going to celebrate uh, abusers. I taught women self-defense for 35 years. I'm sure as hell not going to, uh, to celebrate the abusers in that circumstance. Mm-hmm. However, el- elements of that may be in the story as something somebody has, has gone through, and that, that explains their character growth and arc. So you can make reference to abuse of various kinds without necessarily needing to showcase it. And I, it's one of the reasons I don't like the torture porn uh, genre, uh, movies like Green Hell and, and Hostel and so on, um, because it doesn't feel like the violence and the misogyny that's going on on screen is there to make a point. It feels like it's there to entertain. And to me, that kind of aggressive content is not, not where I'm ever going to go. Um, mm-hmm. Great for the people who do it, not for me. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, Bookish21 wants to know, what is the funniest typo you ever wrote? (laughs) Um, (laughs) I don't know. This could be a long list. I don't know. This might take a while, Bookish. uh, I just want to say that I was talking about a a character who was a bit of a runt, and I misspelled, and it was not an R that that started that word. So I'm just going to leave that one there. Um, it, it got a raised eyebrow. Like I got a note, uh, back from the editor who was editing and saying, surely you don't mean that. <laughs> We're not but, using this word, oh right? Oh my God. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, uh, I'm, I'm glad I have people who, who, who proofread my stuff because, uh, we writers tend to look through our own typos and, uh, it's really, really, really good to have somebody there checking that stuff out. Yeah. 100%. Even as an editor, if I developmental edit something, I pay someone else to copy edit it because I've already seen it. So yeah, good point. And that's one of those things that the programs won't catch. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's spelled correctly. Next. <laughs> Let's see. We have uh, Sheldon Hickton says hello. Hello, Sheldon. Did I miss anyone else? Kate, Sorry, Jones. Kate Jones, maybe? Kate is one of the great, she's one of our, one of our, our most talented writers right now. And also just a really cool person who I like a lot. That's so awesome. like some of the good guys are, are joining us, you know, so my, my cronies. Your cronies are me, my cronies. We're going to have a good time tonight. I hope everyone bought their beverage. Crony. Yeah. We brought beverages. Let's see. Uh, Dennis Crosby wants to know, uh, the zombie apocalypse is here and you get to choose a team of five, real or fictional, to help you survive. Who do you choose? Oh, well. You know, you should have said not Joe Ledger because that's too easy and then make him choose five others. I mean, that's cheating. Joe Ledger's already been in the zombie apocalypse. I'm going to pick five people. I definitely will pick five fictional people. Okay. I'm going to pick Alex from the Resident Evil films. Um, I'm going to pick Batman. Because he, the gadgets, the tech, and the cave, you know. Uh, um, mm-hmm. uh, Black Widow, Hawkeye, and the Punisher. Nice. Wait, Hawkeye Pierce? Or, I mean, there's multiple Hawkeyes. Hawkeye. Marvel's <laughs> Hawkeye. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, Hawkeye Pierce can make you the martinis. I mean, you need that, too. I, I, can, make, I can make a martini myself. Okay. I'd rather have somebody out there killing the zombies while I'm sipping the martini. Good shot, Hawkeye. Oh, another good shot, Hawkeye. Do a freaking game every time he gets one of the hits. <laughs> That's how we're going to go through the apocalypse. Sitting on the roof, drinking martinis, watching Hawkeye at work. I could do that. That'd be okay. I don't think wrong with that plan at all. Yeah, I think that's yeah. a real plan. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah, I like that. That's my new answer, too. Let's see. 
Steven says he needs a beverage. Yes, Steven, go get your beverage. You know how this works. You're not a newbie. Um, Spikette wants to know if we have ever, if we have never read any of your books, which do you recommend reading first? Well, see, that's a tough, tough one because I'm multi-genre. It's really depends on what you like. So here's, it's a multiple answer. If you're if you're into American Gothic vampires in in small town America, the Pine Deep trilogy. If you like weird science of action and sarcasm, the Joe Ledger series, starting with Patient Zero. If you like a good old fashioned zombie apocalypse, starting with how um, from the first bite and explaining how it happens, the Dead of Night series. If you're into what happens after the zombie apocalypse, growing up in the world beyond. The and it's sadly that's also the name used by the uh, thinly disguised version of my rotten ruin books that is the spinoff of The Walking Dead. Um, which really? I, have, I haven't yeah. seen it. Uh, it, well, it's not legally based on my rotten, no, ruin, no, but yeah, it, I understood that, yeah. <laughs> And I don't want to. I don't want to slam Walking Dead because I mean they've been on for so long. They've had to come up with new ideas, but th- mm-hmm. it's clear they 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 are influenced by uh, material by other writers. Um, uh, so that those would be. And if you like, you know, straight science fiction, Mars One. You know, th- there's there's all sorts of stuff. If you just want a standalone that's not part of a series, I recommend either Glimpse or yes. Ink. My my two standalone weird horror stories. I've not read Ink yet, but Glimpse was incredible. Really, those well are done. my two favorite books. I've written, actually, Glimpse. Oh, I Ink. love Glimpse. Um, so Ink is on my list. I haven't got there yet, but Glimpse. I mean, I can't even talk about it because it's hard to like not talk about it and give things away. I don't know how you like marketed this one. So tell people what? How did you market? What's what's the what's the um what's the 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 elevator pitch for Glimpse? For Glimpse, mm-hmm. uh, woman. Uh, Recovering from from drug addiction, looking for the child she gave up for for adoption when she was 16, um, f- begins to get the the, the hint that uh, the child is out there and is looking for her, but the child may be hunted by something very dark and very dangerous. Nice, well done. You've done that a few times, huh? Once or twice. That's right. Oh, I want you to know. Uh oh, you know we have a big debate. We haven't had a zombie expert on yet, and we have a big debate on uh, one, one of our communities about whether zombies can climb or not. So what is your opinion on this? Can zombies climb, Jonathan? Well, here's the thing about that. I need to preface this, but unlike vampires, werewolves, and so on, zombies are not part of folklore. Uh, the zombies that we talk about are the flesh-eating ghouls from Night of the Living Dead forward. Nothing to do with the religion of voodoo or the Haitian beliefs or anything else. So because they're entirely fictional, you need to decide which set of rules you're going with. If you're going by the Romero rules, yes, because in these early stories, his early uh, movies, zombies use tools. They, uh, the, the first, the graveyard zombie ran after Barbara's car, ran it downhill, but still running. Um, <laughs> in, uh, but by, by the time of a Day of the Dead, zombies were relearning how to speak and uh, use tools and weapons. By Land of the Dead, they staged an invasion uh, showing that they were capable of unified action and so on. So since Romero, who was a friend of mine, did intend for his zombies to evolve, mm-hmm. uh, the answer is yes, they, they would eventually be able to climb. The fast zombies, of course, you know, there's no reason they couldn't. But, and I don't include the 28 days later zombies because they are not zombies. They are fast infected. Um, based mm-hmm. on another thing George Romero had created, the crazies, which is the uh, homicidal infected subgenre, 
But the World War Z zombies like Max Brooks, there's no reason, you know, the, 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 in the book they were slow, in the movie they were fast. The movie version, they, they would, there's no reason they wouldn't be able to climb because they transition very quickly from human to, to the zombie. And if they can run upstairs, they can climb. Yep. Fair. Well, you won Smashy over. Yep, H&H is happy. So you've, you've got some fans. I'm waiting for people to moan about it. Come on now. I, I, <laughs> I just I, want I, you I to know. You, I, I've talked about this sort of thing with George Romero. We've had a lot, we had a lot of long conversations about this. We were co-editing Knights of the Living Dead, an anthology we did of stories set around Night of the Living Dead. And um, you know, if George, if George said it, then that's that's as far as I need to go with it. I think that's fair, but I want you to know that Steve H and H says this is an incredibly well thought out, research and considered wrong answer. <laughs> Well, uh, <laughs> it depends on like, choosing. Walking dead zombies are, are you know, stupid as avocados. They're not going to be able to try, climb anything. Oh, you got to love the audience. Um, I do. Florida, Florida Kevin I, says, zombies can't social climb by themselves, but they can marry up. <laughs> That's cute. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Isaac Marion, who did Warm Bodies, would love that answer. Yeah, probably, right? My gosh, Jonathan, you know everyone. I do. Uh, well, everybody writes zombie stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a community of, cause we've all been on panels together. We've all been in, con, uh, in these events together and, um, there, there may have been drinks and, and loud conversation where we solve the problems of the zombie universe. Yeah. Just a few, some things here and there. <laughs> I love it. Um, well, I'm wondering, so we talked about your V war series and it's very sad. There's not a second series. Um, but, I'm wondering, is there any other TV that you've watched lately that you've really gotten into? Oh, yes. There's a bunch of stuff. Uh, I I'm, I just started Altered Carbon, finally, uh, which is mm -hmm. not hard, but it's it's, it's really, really good. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm all over the place with what I watch on TV, too. I, like, I rewatched uh, The Kingdom, which is a fantastic series on uh, Netflix. It's set in the feudal era of, of Korea, but it's a zombie story. And it's mm -hmm. scary and and just dynamic. I, I watched both seasons of that again. I rewatched Black Summer because the new season's coming up again. Um, uh, just watched a very strange show called Raised by Wolves, which is science fiction about an android, a couple of androids raising children. Fantastic stuff. I'm going to have to look um, that one up. What was that called again? It's called uh, Raised by Wolves. There's only one <laughs> season of it. I don't think they're going to do a second, but the first season, it's mind-bending. It just goes all over the place. Um, what am I? What am I watching right now? Oh, oh! I just started watching um, uh, last night. Uh, I'll finish today's Project Power about uh, a drug that gives you superpowers for five minutes with Jamie Foxx and uh, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. That looked like it was going to be a lot of fun. That does sound fun. Is that a show or a movie? It's a movie. It was, hmm. but I think I think it was originally released as net as a Netflix flick, Netflix Netflix film. And I'm also systematically going through everything that has ever been done with Sherlock Holmes. I just watched all the Jeremy Brett Sherlock Holmes, and now I'm in the Benedict Cumberbatch. You know, it's a favorite genre of mine, Sherlock. I've written some Sherlock stories over the years. Gotta love Sherlock. Sherlock. So much there. So much there to unpack. And yeah, see, I'm wondering. Uh, and, and, and I'm listening. I just finished listening to the Stephen Fry complete Sherlock Holmes on audio. Uh, his reading of it is superb. I love Stephen Fry. I'm going to have to look that one up. 
if you're an Audible member, it's in the free plus catalog. Yeah. Something like that. Wow. I don't know how you get any writing done, Jonathan. I listen to audiobooks while I drive. mostly. Ah, clever. There you go. That'll do it. Well, now that travel is opening up, as more of us get the Fauci ouchie, as we like to call it, what convention are you most excited to attend this year? Oh, Dragon Con. Yes! Uh, it's my favorite. My, Dragon Con is always my favorite con. Um, yes. Even though, you know, I live in San Diego and I go to San Diego Comic Con and, you know, uh, won the Ring Pot Award and all that. Dragon Con, I was introduced to Dragon Con by a great friend of mine who sadly has since passed, L.A. Banks. Um, she was paranormal romance writer. We went to middle school together. She was a force of nature, one of the greatest human beings. And she, she said, I, you know, I had to go to Dragon Con. And I had never heard of it before. This is 12, 15 years ago, I guess now, 14 years ago. So I, I reached out to them, and I've been a guest every, almost every year, um, coming back this year. And it is 80,000 of my close personal friends in costumes and all the writers hang out at the Weston bar every night and talk shop and Friday night, curse dragon ship writers meet and greet. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, writers drink, God bless them. Um, and we, we, we party. In fact, the podcast I had three guys with beers, beards was born over drinks at dragon con. I had, you know, uh, James Moore, Christopher gold and I were all sitting around talking and, um, uh, we made some joke about how we, we should all do it. You know, we know so much about the horror world. We should do a, a, a podcast. And um, I said it as a joke. Mm-hmm. And then a couple of days later, James Moore says, okay, so we're set up to start the podcast. We just need a name for it. It's going to be on this platform. I'm like what podcast? You're like, wait a minute. Was I and, drinking uh, when we talked about this? <laughs> I, I was probably like third martini in. So <laughs> I'm just glad I didn't. I didn't suggest a podcast where we were all naked in a tub, you know? So, <laughs> so it became three guys. Appearance. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, um, James Moore, besides my wonderful support of mother, James Moore was the first person to buy my book. Cause we were there at the Westin at dragon con and I had books with me, my first published book. And he was like, yeah, I'll buy one. I was like, you are amazing. You don't even know me. It was, it was really, really kind and generous. And, and that's, that's James Moore in a nutshell right there. Jim is, Jim is, he's, he's the kind of people we should breed if we want our culture to get somewhere useful. Um, he's good nature, good hearted, has your back. Um, yeah. Yeah. He was a great guy. I have to say it was, I didn't even know what to do. Let's see. Yeah. We have, we're big dragon con people around here. Let's see. There was a question. Where did the question go? Oh, there it is. Amaya has a question. She wants to know what is your favorite Sherlock Holmes story? And it could be Doyle's oh. or it could be someone else's. It doesn't have to be original. Blue Carbuncle. Without without a, I mean, th- that that doesn't even, I mean, Musgrave Ritual is great. Baskerville's is great. But Blue Carbuncle, I love the story. It's it's weirdly sentimental for a Sherlock Holmes story. It has a, a pretty clever mystery in it. And the Jeremy Brett adaptation of it is my, I, it, it, I put that on my list of things I need to watch every Christmas because it is a Christmas story. Um, I love that story. And I just, it's funny. I just listened to that on the, on the drive from Phoenix uh, to Tucson today, because I'm moving around a little bit. Listen to that Musgrave ritual and the, and the uh, five orange pips during the drive. Three of my favorites. Now had that story with Stephen Fry uh, narrating it. I think I'm on board. He's amazing. <laughs> Let's see. Who's your favorite. Smashy wants to know who's your favorite Marvel DC character. 
Oh, uh, Marvel char favorite character of all time was T'Challa, the Black Panther. Um, when I was a kid, you know, I, I was raised in a very racist neighborhood in, in Philly. And uh, so the only exposure I had was the racist, you know, propagandized viewpoint until I encountered the character of, of uh, the Black Panther in issues of Fantastic Four. And that started me asking questions, which I was not getting answered at home. So I, I took to the middle school, when I started seventh grade, I took that, took those comics to the middle school librarian and asked her. And she explained apartheid, the Jim Crow laws, all the, all the things that you need to know if you don't want to be a racist asshole. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, one of the things there is once you open your eyes and see the truth, you have a choice. You can either close your eyes and pretend the truth is is the more convenient version for your you know, racial identity, or you can actually see the world for what it is. And I, I didn't want to close my eyes again. Um, roll that. forward Love to that. 2009, uh, Reginald Hudlin, the founder of BET Network, who's a big Academy Award-winning producer, he was writing The Black Panther at the time and had heard me talk about my, because I just started writing for Marvel, he heard me talk about why I love that character. And um, so as he was stepping down, he went to the, the the powers that be at Marvel and said, look, we know that, you know, we, you guys have been wanting to do black writers for the Black Panther, which makes sense. But here's the thing is that character saved Mayberry's life as much as it saved, you know, uh, black kids, you know, in, 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 in the inner cities. He has something to say about that character. Um, and also because I had been teaching women self-defense most of my life. He decided to throw me an extra uh, a little treat. He had T'Challa get injured in the story, so Shuri had to step up to be the panther. And in the comics, Shuri is not a super genius scientist. She was basically the Lindsay Lohan of, of Wakanda. Um, so she had to level up to become the hero and the leader of her own people. So I got to write the feminist Black Panther for two years. And I'm pretty sure my father is spinning in his grave at Warp 9 because of that. Well, I can't say I'm sad about that. So good for you, oh, by the way. It's really hard to go against your parents. So good for you. Uh, we, we collided pretty darn hard. <laughs> mm. Well, we're lucky to have you. So thank you. Let's see. Dennis Crosby wants to know, if time travel were a thing, which period in time would you want to travel to and why? Oh, uh, definitely um, uh, late 19th century. Um, you know, you had, you had Dickens, you had the pre-Raphaelite artist, you had Conan Doyle, you had, um, uh, Bram Stoker. I mean, I definitely would want to go there, hang out with all the, the writers. H.G. Wells. HG mm -hmm. Wells, big fan of H.G. Wells. So yeah, all, all, some of my, my favorite writers and some of the, my favorite stories are from that era. Plus the men's clothing, which I, I want to wear, I granted not a Hawaiian shirt version of it, but those beautiful <laughs> Suits and 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 hats and walking sticks. Top hat. I, I yeah, top hat. I want to. I want. I want all of that. So that's where I'd go. And I, I think I'd benefit a lot from the conversations with some of the 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 writers who are foundational to me, as they are to many people, in in my view of storytelling. Like Charles Dickens, A Christmas Carol, I think is one of the finest pieces of writing ever done. Most people never read the book. The book is brilliant. You know, mm -hmm. and it's it's not it's not much longer than a novella, but it's brilliant. You know. So I want to go talk to those guys, you know, and also, you know, as a, as a multiple recipient of the Brom Stoker award, I kind of like to talk to him. I'm friends with his grandnephew, Dacre Stoker. That's uh, but so I'd like to fun. Talk to Brom and just you know, hang out with him. It's like, dude, you have no idea what you just did with that book. <laughs> you have changed the world. 
It has changed the world. <laughs> it absolutely has. That's fantastic. Let's see. If I missed a question, please write it again. I think we're good, though. You have the most fun answers, Jonathan. Thanks. Let's see. Let's see. Your new. So we talked a lot about horror, but your new series is an epic fantasy, right? Yes. What 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 led you to to branch out into this creative forum? Um, a little bit of of fate. <laughs> so so here's here's the thing. I love your hat, by the way. Um, so so here here's the thing. Um, I, the very first book I ever bought with my own money when I was a kid was Conan the Wanderer, the old an old Lancer paperback. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I was into swords and sorcery from the jump, uh, but long before it became epic fantasy. Uh, when I was in high school, um, one of the projects in my advanced placement English class was we had to pitch a book that we thought needed to be added to the uh, curriculum for advanced placement English. And I made a case for uh, Lord of the Rings that got all the way to the school board. And in fact, they they added it to the AP curriculum. That's so I, you know, I, have a, I have a long history with uh, epic fantasy. Um, my One of my favorite series of all times is Nine Princes in Amber by Roger Zelazny. I love the Carl Edward Wagner Kane novels and Michael Moorcock, who my first fantasy is, is, is dedicated to. I have read probably everything he's written going back to when I first started reading him in 1966. Um, and by the way, he's recently become a friend of mine, which uh, he's going to he, he just gave me an excerpt of the um, the new Elric novel that I'll be publishing in uh, Weird Tales magazine. I'm going to start calling so, you Jonathan the name dropper. I just want you to know. Well, it's it's life has not been boring. I'm just telling you that. So, um, with all that background in it, um, you know, I was already kind of primed to do it. I've done a couple of epic fantasy short stories, but then um, my editor Michael Homler at Macmillan, uh, at the St. Martin's Griffin um, Division of Macmillan, has called me up out of the blue and said, "We we were having a, having a planning meeting and and we want to get more into the epic fantasy space." your name kept coming up as somebody who's willing to try anything. And I'm like, I'm not sure that's true, but nice, you know? And he said, would you be interested in, in pitching an epic fantasy thing to us? And I said, sure. And he said, can you give us a pitch in an hour? I'm like, okay. So within an hour, I got a pitch to him. And by the end of the day, we had a deal for the first two of, this, of a new series of epic fantasy novels. Awesome. They want to publish them six months apart. Uh, so I, I finished one already. And I'm about to start the next one. And uh, I'm in love with epic fantasy. Plus, I, I read a lot. Like like Patrick, Patrick Rothfuss, uh, Joe Abercrombie is probably my favorite epic fantasy writer right now. Uh, my buddy James Rollins, if you know who he is, uh, number one New York Times bestselling author of uh, uh, the Sigma Force series, which is uh, weird science thrillers. He's doing um, epic fantasy now, too. So, yeah. Um, I'm I'm all in on epic fantasy right now. Yeah, Steve H and H loves Joe Abercrombie too. Oh my God, the Blade itself! What an incredible novel! Yeah, the Bloody Nine, he says. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Florida Kevin too. Yeah, you. This is definitely the right audience for you. Oh yeah, these are. I mean, clearly my peeps. You yeah, know, these are definitely your peeps. We would That's hang right. if we were all together. Well, they all of these people almost are going to be at Dragon Con, so this is a possibility. Weston Bar every every night. Mm -hmm. That's where the writers hang out. Join us. That's right. It's fun. Let's see. I think where are we at? We've got fifteen minutes. I think we should hit the fast round. Let's let's do our quick questions. Are we ready? 
Sure. Oh, no, wait, wait. No, not yet. There was that is what I, I got distracted by Joe Abercrombie. You know, who isn't? Um, the fantasy, you didn't tell us what it's called. Are you allowed to share yet? Oh, Kagan the Damned is the name of the first book and of the series. And um, it's, it's a big, meaty story. And I'm just about to start the second one called The Son of the Poison Rose. Ooh, that's a great title. Yeah, unlike a lot of fantasies where, you know, it's it's patriarchal, the, the hero was taught how to fight by his mother. His, his father was more of a politician. His mother was was a dangerous fighter. She was a dagger fighter, fought with match daggers and um, poison-bladed match daggers. And he had learned how to fight from her. So he doesn't use a sword. He uses daggers. Fascinating. And, That's going to be fun. Definitely picking that one up. So for the quick round. Well, yeah. not yet, right? But. Definitely. It's on the list. That's what we have Goodreads for. So we can mark things as TBD. Yep. TBR. Not TBD. Yeah, TBR. TBR. Um, so, so for our quick lightning round, we have our hard-hitting questions. So our first one is, what is your favorite flavor of ice cream? Mint chocolate chip. Good choice. Hot or cold weather? Um, eh, in between. I like moderate weather. That's why I moved to San Diego. Never too hot, never too cold. Still going to say that's cold weather, but that's okay. What part of your daily routine is an absolute must? Uh, I start every, there are two things that are absolute must for me every day. I start off every day by thinking about the things and the people I'm grateful for. You know, it's not a religious thing. It's just, I've, I've been fortunate over the, over the years to have encountered really important people in my lives, in my life rather. I mean, some, some of the writers I met who, like Ray Bradbury and Richard Matheson who mentored me for, for no reason other than basic decency, you know, people like that, the people in the writer's community who, who embraced me when I, when I came in here, uh, the readers, you know, friends who aren't celebrities who don't get a chance to get a pat on the back, who are just kind hearted, good people. So I, I, I really focus a lot on people who do good to, uh, for others without it, it, being that they they get a, a pat on the back for it, uh, you know, genuine good-hearted people. So I start my day with that, and also uh, every day that I'm writing, I start off by reading poetry aloud. Um, especially, I like a lot of 19th-century poetry. Um, it get, it gets me into the the feeling of how po how how the brevity of poetry um, lends itself to. Um, to, to, to fiction because you get to the point of it you you, you find the metaphor rather than five pages of, of of exposition so those two things are are things i do every day and i, I don't skip them that's fantastic coffee or tea coffee <laughs> he's like that was easy <laughs> what is your least favorite chore around the house vacuuming i hate noise i hate loud noise but I like I like other housework, you know, dishes, laundry, things like that. I'm okay with. I just don't like vacuuming. It's fair. And what is your favorite style of music? Blues. Blues. Though, though, when when it comes down to individual players, I tend to go off of that because Leonard Cohen, Tom Waits is my favorite of all time. Mm -hmm. um, Lorena McCann and some others. But when when I just need to play some music while writing or or just you know driving, it's going to be the blues, classic blues, old, older blues. Muddy Waters, Howlin' Wolf, Sunhouse, Ferry Lewis. Nice. We have Tom Waits mentioned. Uh, you, you guys have frozen, so I don't know if you can hear me or not. So 
this is kind of it's kind of weird because both of you are frozen and I have no idea at all if I'm talking to myself. You're not. Can you? you hear me at all? That's interesting. You can't hear me. Uh oh. Okay. Zepo, what do we got? Yeah. Are you back? Can you hear Maybe. us? I can. Now you were frozen for a little bit there. Uh oh. I don't know what happened. I'm, I'm gonna blame hotel Wi-Fi. Uh yeah. Well, that's hotel Wi-Fi in Arizona. So you know you're not top of the line there in terms of Wi-Fi. <laughs> well, you know we were at the last lightning round. We just went too fast and the Wi-Fi couldn't keep up. There you go. That's Didn't what have it the was. bandwidth. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But they were agreeing with Jazz, so or with Blue, excuse me. So, Jazz, Jazz, you know, acoustic jazz, Joe Pass, acoustic guitar, big fan of that. Nice, nice. All what right. So I think that's it. So we have our last question, Jonathan. Now that you have all of these new fans, where can people find you and your work? Uh, well, the easiest way to find me is spell my name right. Um, people want to <laughs> spell my name with a Y in the middle. They want to do M-A-Y-B-E-R-Y. -E Resist that temptation. It's M-A-B. It's like Ma Berry connected, but it is pronounced Mayberry. JonathanMayberry.com is my website. If you're a writer, and if there are any writers out there, there's a page on my website called Free Stuff for Writers. Go grab what you need. It's all downloadable, free stuff. But I'm also on uh, under that name uh, on Twitter, LinkedIn, um, uh, Instagram, Facebook, I'm easy to find. And uh, uh, if anybody wants a signed copy of any of my books, uh, Mysterious Galaxy Bookstore in San Diego is my local store. And they'll let me know when orders come in that need to be signed and personalized. I just nip over and, and do it because it's close. Excellent, excellent. Well, thank you so much for everyone. Now, as you read Jonathan's work, please make sure to review it. It's the best gift you can give your author. And also, please review this podcast wherever you get your podcast. You can also follow us on Twitch or um, subscribe to us on YouTube. And we do want to thank our subscribers on Twitch. We have DH Dunn and William Galaney and Eight of Nine. And I think that's it. So, did I miss anyone, Zafo? One of these days, I'll get a list. We'll have a, a list, list eventually. Uh, oh, Roger. Roger, yep. And Roger. There you go. So thank you so much for our subscribers. You're the ones who help us keep the lights on. And we do want to hope to see you next week at 8 p.m. Central Time on twitch.tv slash cursedragonship, uh, where we interview DJ Baden. We'll see you then. Bye.